Finding solace and healing during times of grief can be challenging, but remember you're not alone. Join me as I continue my conversation with insightful advice from Emily Throw Threat on this episode of the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. You talk about the importance of self-care. Uh, what, what are some of the strategies? Because at some point, grief becomes overwhelming. So what do you, what can one do to, you know, fight back that, uh, the feeling that I'm being overwhelmed. I don't know where to go, how to get started. Um, I feel like I'm drowning. At the beginning, I think everybody feels that way to some extent. And with all the different experiences I've had with losing a loved one, each one has been different And each, each time I deal with it somewhat differently. But I find generally at the beginning, it's like your balance is taken away, that nothing makes sense anymore. And if you just keep working on trying to make it make sense, you can get real uptight about that. And it can get, I am just feel my shoulders going up just as I'm telling you about that, sure. that it, it can get to be hard. And so what I believe in, in self-care is to do where you're guided to to go that I spent days in bed. Um, I found the Hallmark channel. <laughs> and the, the reason I point that out is because it was easy to watch because every story has basically the same plot, the same plot line, and you know, it's going to have a happy ending and that, that people are going to be smiling at, and happy at the end. And there's love at the end of the movies each time. And so I didn't have to really pay attention to the movies. I just knew that everything was going to turn out well in the end. And I think that I was looking for for that message that, yeah, you go through some trials and tribulations, but ultimately it's all going to turn out. And I wasn't rationally thinking that, but I know by having that as my background going on when I was going through this period made it so that I could think, okay, I don't know what it's going to look like but I'm still here and I can take care of myself. And another thing with, with those periods is to really pay attention to what you're doing to yourself. I've known people who just kind of stop bathing people that used to always look sharp. Uh, it was just too much for them to get into the shower and they didn't realize how dirty their clothes were and how bad they smelled is that because is that because they're thinking what's the use it's because they're not thinking i think okay yeah they don't care essentially it seems like the the least thing like and and as you're saying what's the use you know my loved one's not going to see what i look like anyway so who cares they can have all kinds of rationale for that or they'll stop eating um i know after both husbands died I lost a lot of weight. It's not that I had a lot of weight to lose. I just wasn't interested in eating. And I had to recognize that I was doing that so I could start being kind to myself by eating foods that, that were nutritious and, and tasted good and that supported me. While other people will go the other direction and, and live on potato chips 
and and coke or something and constantly and they they get their nutrition out of balance so their body's out of balance they can't feel good when they're not feeding it the the right nutrients and they gain weight and they're unhappy because they do that and it's a kind of a downward spiral so the the thing is to recognize what self-care is you need do you need to take a shower every morning whether you want to or not just get in there and do it (laughs) Do you, do you need to have things on hand? It doesn't matter if you eat cottage cheese for lunch every day. You know you're going to have that. You don't have to think about it. It's right there until you get to the point where you want more variety. But you, need it's, take, you, you need to take the dog out for a walk. You need to. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And another form of you know trying to get through this difficult time, you advocate dancing. You say mm-hmm. that dancing serves, serves as a form of emotional expression and a release during times of grief. So how does it contribute to the healing and connecting with one's emotions? It's, I don't know, it's it's, it's kind of a, just a feeling you get. To me, it always feels good when I dance. I've, I've noticed one thing that I've, I've done when I do watch a little TV in the evening. Right. And there's there's certain especially commercials. There's a couple of commercials. I don't I can't even tell you what the commercials are for. I just recognize the music and I will notice that I'm moving in rhythm to that music when it comes on because it feels good. Right. And you know if I think about it, I go, why are you doing that? But I'm doing something that feels good. Mm-hmm. And if if you like turn on the turn on a, a your tunes in the kitchen, however you listen to them, and just dance while you're cooking. Nobody's watching. It just feels good. And you don't have to do it fancy. I know other people I have taken classes. I, I actually, um, when we first moved to Maui and I was dealing with uh, anticipatory grief, I found a dance exercise class that I could go to. And somebody would come over and, and sit with my husband for all, well, I'd go one hour a week to this. It felt so good. Nobody was watching each other dance except for to see what the steps were so that we could, right. we were all, all doing the same thing at the same time. And you didn't just automatically know what that was going to be, but nobody was performing for anybody else. We were just doing it and getting our blood pumping and our body moving. And it felt good. It just felt really good to do that. Was there, were there days that you just, music came on or a song, maybe, you know, during the time with one, with one of your husbands that came on and it just made you smile and also start to dance? Mm-hmm. You dance, yeah. you dance like nobody was watching you in your kitchen? That's right. <laughs> okay. It's as much as I've talked to a lot of grief, grief experts, first time I've heard dance, but it does make sense. Um, you know, pe- when you dance, you do feel better. You may not be in rhythm, but the point is you're, you've got your own beat in your head. So, you know, That's do what right. you got to do and uh, to make uh, make yourself feel better. Before we started to talk and I pushed record, we started, I was, um, one part of your book that jumped out at me was um, how to help people that are going through grief. You advise against saying some of the common phrases I'm sorry for your loss, and they're in a better place. As much as I've been doing the show and talking to people such as yourself, I never realized how, I don't know, pointless saying that those words are, those phrases are, to an individual who's grieving. 
because you think that you're helping them when actually you're just saying that to help yourself. I see why you wouldn't say it. What are what are the things that uh, the mistakes that you see people make? Are there some sort of examples? Are, are there any alternative approaches to um, helping people that are going through grief that you'd suggest? Absolutely. Uh, first, in, in relation to things like, I'm sorry for your loss, I remember when people started saying, have a nice day. I, and when, when I first started started hearing people say that, I thought, oh, that's cool. And then it got to be the point where everybody was saying it. They weren't looking in your eye. It was like like at the grocery store, their boss told them to say that to everybody that they checked out. And it became meaningless. And I did I did um, a speech in high school where we we'd do speech competitions. And one of the things that I did was a, a piece that was on uh, how are you? Because people say that all the time and they don't care. And they I've seen them get exasperated when you give them an answer because they didn't want to know the answer. They wanted to move on to the next thing. They said it was just something they thought they were supposed to say. And I'm sorry if your loss became that way. And I got to the point where when people would say it to me, I would just tense up. It's like, don't say that. And I couldn't say that because I know that they were doing the best they could. They weren't doing that to make me angry or to be hurtful. And so I had to put things in perspective like that. And I thought, okay, what what would be the good thing to say? And there's two things in particular that I highly recommend. And remembering these two things will help you out always when you're dealing with somebody in a situation like this. The first one is to say something kind about their loved one and call them by name. I know with my husband, Jacques, had a beautiful singing voice and people were always saying things to me like, you know, anytime I heard he was singing someplace in town, I was there because I could listen to him every night. And that that always, it, that just it might even make me cry sometime. And that was okay because it's, it's good tears. It's happy tears. With Ron, they'd say, you know, Ron really helped me out when I was in a jam because I was had this blockage in my business and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. And he was such a genius at figuring those things out and helping people. And he was always helping somebody. When somebody said something like that to me, that was so positive. That's so much better than these trite things that have no personal relevance. And the other thing that you can do besides mentioning their loved one and calling them by name is to listen, to just listen. Cause that's one thing that I found people would try to talk their way through something when they didn't really have anything to say. And what I really wanted was for somebody to just let me tell my story or even sit in silence with me, maybe sit there and hold my hand. You don't have to perform. You don't have to say the exact right thing. What you can do that's really going to help somebody is to remind them of how wonderful their loved one was with these stories. Like I, I was saying, what what an amazing contribution my father was to, to the veterans of the Second World War. That was his passion in life, that he did things for them. And when people would point things out about that, it, I always smiled. All the community service my mom did, people would mention that. That would feel just really good. They didn't have to know them personally. They could just know, know them by reputation. 
or I could see in your eyes how much you loved your husband. You had such a beautiful relationship. How cool is that? Wouldn't you like to hear that? It's funny when you when you were saying it, when we were saying, well, I'm sorry for your loss. To me, now that I'm thinking about it, that sounds like a term that's like it's off the rack. But when you said, you know, when Jacques was in town singing, that was made to measure. That made it fit more um, in terms of, you know, I could go listen to him sing wherever he is any night. So that was more made to measure. And that makes it more personal that, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm sorry for your loss. That's basically off the rack. And it's it's a throwaway uh, phrase. Mm -hmm. um, but you can see, and there's the, the point for the connection, for someone to say, I loved, you know, when Jacques was singing and I would go hear him sing in any night, you both had that connection right there because you knew what a great singer he was and what joy he brought to not only this individual that's giving you, um, you know, having that conversation with you, but the other people that he shared his, his great voice with. So, uh, yeah, it's, I, I guess it's because people are so uncomfortable with uh, with death. They don't, it, you know, it it really doesn't hit somebody until they actually go through it. They only see it from the outside, you know, when they show up at the funeral home and they'll have the conversations and then they move on. But it, because it doesn't really hit you unless you, it's right in your family, someone that's close to you and you feel the grief. And because we don't have a lot of conversations about it. And when it does happen, it affects different people different ways. And most people just want to get it over with and make themselves feel better because um, there's the uncomfortable talk about death and, and grief. And now, I know um, you are emphasize the importance of being proactive and specific in offering support to a grieving friend. Are there any ways that you, besides being quiet, and holding hands and and let you talk? Are there other ways that uh, someone could be supportive to someone who's grieving? There's all kinds of ways. And it just depends on your relationship with whoever it is. Um, we do something here in Maui on every, every Friday night between five and six, all the neighbors and people that have heard about it will stop by my place to share whatever they have that's in their garden at that point because generally when you grow something it's more than you can use in your house and so we just bring things to share we call it produce share and I've met the most interesting people there and one of them I didn't know her at all she just started coming to produce share and it turned out that she lives a couple of blocks away and her husband died shortly after my husband died and so we had had that in common and we were talking one night about how both of us each of us said that it would be really cool to be able to do watercolors that I'd never really done watercolors, but I admired them and I thought it would be fun to try. And so we said, well, okay, let's do a class. <laughs> so we started off by getting together at each other's house and, and watching something on YouTube. So it didn't cost us anything and we could just kind of play with it. We've gotten to the point now whenever a neat class, art class shows up in Maui, we're there and it's something that brought us together. So we didn't have to sit there and talk about our husbands. We didn't have to sit there and talk about how sad they, we were. What we would do is get together and be, it's like an escape. And 
escape from grief for a while where you could just do something creative and throw yourself into it and get involved in it and have somebody to go with so you weren't going by yourself and feeling like you've stuck out. And so we, we could do something like that. So it doesn't always have to be related directly to grief. Uh, one of the things that that I did, I had uh, taken a, a certified vegan chef class online, a very powerful, long, several months long class, but I learned so much. And I had had friends say, gee, I'd like to learn how to do that. And I did it because my husband had um, kidney failure. And they said that a vegan diet is really, really good for people with uh, kidney issues. So that's that's why I did it. And I was telling people that I did that and that I enjoyed it. And so they said, well, well teach, teach me. And so I said, okay. And I invite like four or five people over at a time and we just cook something together. And they they were thrilled to be learning something different. It was something positive. Again, you didn't have to talk about grief. You didn't talk have to talk about what you're feeling, but we found ourselves smiling and laughing and tasting something good and finding different ways to be together so that your whole emphasis in life isn't on grief and how sad you are, because that's real easy to fall into that. And when you see people falling into that situation, um, you know, there, there's probably some signs of uh, depression when someone's grieving. Um, how do you suggest friends and uh, loved ones respond if they observe that there's some signs of depression um, seeping into an individual who's grieving? If you see that, don't leave them alone. Just, you know, one, one thing that happens often, for instance, um, I, oh, Jean and I were were both very well known in our, our the community where we live because we'd been so involved in so many different things in the community. And when we had a celebration of life, I couldn't believe how many people were there, just tons and tons of people. And after he died, I wasn't seeing anyone. Nobody invited me over. Nobody asked me to go someplace with them. Um, nobody called to see how I was. And I thought here, I thought I had hundreds of friends. Where are they? And I wasn't in the position to make the phone calls myself. I just, I just couldn't do it. If, if I pick up the phone and dial, I thought I'm just going to sit here and cry. And they're not going <laughs> to think it's some weirdo and not know who it was because I wouldn't even be able to talk. Yeah. So people weren't reaching out to me in any way. And I, I was really shocked and it took me a while to kind of get through that. It's like they didn't want to deal with the sorrow. And so they went on about their lives. And it wasn't that they were intentionally snubbing me or anything. They just weren't realizing that I was sitting home by myself. So having had that experience, what I do is stay in touch with people. And the more you stay in touch with them and include them in things, the, the better it helps. One of the the first Thanksgiving, we used to to always have um, Thanksgiving in particular with with both husbands that I had. It was kind of a tradition to invite people over who didn't have any place else to go. And when each of them died, I thought, now I'm that person. <laughs> you know, I don't have any place else to go. So what am I going to do? So I thought I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to invite people over who don't have someplace else to go. And it was wonderful because we we weren't sitting home by ourselves on, on Thanksgiving. 
And it doesn't have to be just Thanksgiving. Think about that. You know, if you've got a Sunday afternoon without something else to do, call somebody and say, hey, you want to come over and have popcorn and watch a movie or or that sort of a thing so that that you're so that people don't have as much opportunity to fall into that hole of sitting on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you notice you haven't seen your loved one in a while, do something about it. Right. In our remaining moments, your most recent book, the uh, Grief and Happiness Handbook. What do you hope people will walk away from <coughs> reading it? What I hope it's set up. It's kind of a kind of a workbook. At the end of each chapter, there's things that you can fill in that help you with your intentions and and things that you're dealing with. And I hope they come away smiling when they think about it. I hope to come away with practical things that they can do in their lives that they feel better and that they can share with, with others and the other people will feel better too so that it can just bring more happiness into the world and people realize that they can grieve and be happy at the same time. How can people get in touch with you? I have lots of ways to get in touch with me. I have uh, the website griefandhappiness.com and that covers all the, the things from the nonprofit and from the Zoom meetings that I do and uh, from the Grief and Happiness Handbook because they they essentially uh, paid for the publication so that all the money that comes in from the publication of that book goes directly to operate the, the Grief and Happiness Alliance. And they can, my other book is Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. And that's the name of the website there. So you can find out all the things about me there. You can listen to Grief and Happiness hand, Handbook. I'm sorry, Grief and okay. Happiness Podcast. <laughs> there we go. You can listen to that. We have all different kinds of guests on, on that podcast that you can learn about lots of different things or think about lots of different things. And I do a real short podcast every week, too, that's only about five minutes long, in addition to the the longer interview one, where I just talk about something for you to think about great and you want to say one more thing go ahead no no that's fine i just invite you to do do all of those and and stay in touch uh sign up for my newsletter that goes out every week and you'll see all the different links for things that i do and things you can explore and learn and smile about well first i want to thank you so much for being here, you uh, like I said before, I pushed record. What you opening up your heart, helping other people, you know, the community at large, and then a specific couple. Um, I I didn't know I was going to talk to an angel today, but you clearly are an angel, and I appreciate you um, for what you you do and what you're continue to do. Uh, Emily Thoreau Threat, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be here on the Executive Help Podcast, and I'd like to have you back on sometime down in the future because you have such insights that a lot of people will need need to hear and uh, need help with when it comes to grief and happiness. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And thank you for what you do. Aloha. Aloha. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.